If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey, coming to you from the 45th parallel, 45th parallel, 45th parallel, that's right, my friends, the 45th parallel. That might make you wonder, what parallel are you on today, wherever you are listening? What parallel are you on? Do you know the answer to that? It's probably something that you don't think about very often. My guess is less than half of you probably know. It could be the 45th the 43rd, the 42nd, and um, yeah, we just don't talk about parallels that much unless it happens to do with uh, the seasons or the amount of sunlight and that sort of thing. We kind of just take it for granted where we live, but we don't know the parallel or less, uh, or the GPS coordinates, which are, you know, latitude and, and longitude parallel being the latitude and Sometimes it's easy to get them confused. I always remember latitude because it's like rungs on the ladder. They go left and right horizontal. Parallels are left and right. Um, at least that's what I. That's how I remember latitude. <laughs> Forty-five degree north latitude. So we are. Um, halfway between the equator and the north pole and it's easy to remember the equator the equator as zero so here we are here i am right now motoring north out of traverse city on my sailboat named Bolera, crossing the 45th parallel on my way to north port marina to put the boat up on dry dock for the winter time and this boat it's awesome to be out here today incredible day and uh, my boat's a 1961 Alberg 35 hull number two that was gifted to me by some friends, uh, lifelong friends. Actually, it was um, you know kind of gifted to them from their grandmother who passed away at 102. She bought the boat in she bought the boat in 1962, and she sailed it every single summer. Uh, out in Northeast Harbor, Maine. So some of you that are listening from the East Coast, this boat hails from Northeast Harbor, Maine, which is where I spent my summers as a child. And I was fortunate enough to kind of grow up on this boat, even though it wasn't my family. So I'm very familiar with the boat, and uh, this would be my third season with it here in Michigan. And I sail and and use it out of Traverse City, and in the wintertime, take it up to Northport, which is uh, like 20, about 20 miles north so gotta transport it south to traverse city and transport her back north every year and that's where i am right now so i figured i would record a little something for you and you know uh what's what's fun about being out here right now is that this is lake michigan it is freaking huge it is huge and not only is it a huge body of water, it's a huge body of fresh water. And it's something that we don't really think about that often. And I think that, I think, I should fact check this, but I believe Lake Michigan 
is the second largest Great Lake, which would mean it's the second largest body of freshwater because I believe Lake Superior is the largest lake by volume, but I haven't fact-checked that. I'm just kind of, uh, I should know this. We should all know this. <laughs> Strange facts about the Great Lakes that a lot of us don't know, but we should know because they're just amazing geographic formations of, of fresh water, and that's what's so crazy. You know, not only should uh, we know this living here in Michigan, but it's something that we kind of take for granted wherever we live in the United States, that we have this amazing body of fresh water right here. Uh, in the United States, uh, and I say in the United States, however, Canada does touch, Canada, let's see, let me think about this. Canada does not touch Lake Michigan because the Upper Peninsula borders Lake Michigan, but Canada does touch a couple of the other lakes. Um, yeah, anyway, here I am out here on the water. Uh, right now, I've got this newer microphone. I'm actually holding the microphone. Maybe what I'll do is take a selfie when I'm done and then use that as the cover for this episode because it looks kind of corny, looks kind of cheesy. I'm holding it in my hand, but that way I can ensure that it gets right up to right up to my mouth and I'm not going to scuff it, you know, like a lavalier mic if I need to get up and, and move around while I'm talking to you guys. So I've got this corny handheld mic, but what the hell? got to use the right mic so the sound comes in good so hopefully the sound comes in good and i can look down here on my iphone as i'm recording and i can see the sound waves so hopefully this is a good recording and it comes out clear so uh, maybe you can hear the sound of my atomic four engine purring away and if it's too loud i might have to cut some of it out and depending on the quality of this mic you might not hear it at all but i've got this engine from 1961 called an atomic four and from what i understand you can't kill these engines as long as you maintain them you can't kill them uh, and i also think that they were heavily used in tractors but this this baby has been working since 1961 and if you looked at the outside of this engine you'd say god there's no way that thing works but sure enough it does and i'm no mechanic so one of the things I've had to learn over the last couple of years is how to maintain this engine, particularly how to maintain the carburetor. Crazy how important the carburetor is. And in my, in my mind, it's kind of like the, the heart and lungs of the engine. And again, I am not a mechanic, so you may be listening to this going, Andy, obviously it's a carburetor. That's what it does. But hey, when you grow up with vehicles that don't have carburetors and you any any carburetor that you may have on a on a smaller you know piece of equipment you bring to get fixed i don't know how these things work so i'm learning and uh, it's kind of fun to learn new things like that so uh, make a long story short the last couple weeks the engine had some trouble um there was, we were going to go out on it with some friends over labor day we went out the engine quit I opened up the engine compartment and there was gas leaking out of the carburetor just about shit my pants because I didn't know why and you know when you see gas leaking out of an engine whoa, what else are you going to do but wonder what the what the what the what the <laughs> and so <laughs> after a few hours of tinkering around and a couple phone calls you know kind of just figured out that the float was stuck in the carburetor and the bottom of the of the carburetor had filled up and was kind of pouring out of the air intake and there is i don't know if it's on all engines but at least on this one there's a like evacuation tube it's a piece of copper in the bottom of the carburetor and then it it uh 
kind of loops back up into the top of the engine. So if the carburetor does fill up, if the float's stuck and the, and the bottom bowl of the carburetor fills up with fuel while it's running, it's supposed to siphon it out into the top of the engine and burn it off. And in this case, that wasn't happening. And I, you know, when I saw the gas leaking out, it looked like it was leaking out from this tube. And at that time, I didn't know what the tube was. And I kind of just like wiggled it a little and it pulled right out. Uh, and so I think it was leaking because the copper tube in the bottom of the carburetor, this evacuation port, wasn't working. So it couldn't siphon the, you know, the, the, the overflow, if you will, from the stuck float. Uh, and it just came to a, a, a halt because it was just filling up. So make a long story short, fix that, and then um, got the float unstuck, I think, because it doesn't seem to be filling up anymore, but a little little knocking on the carburetor, I think, freed it up. So I was nervous today heading up here to Northport because it's a four-and-a-half-hour power, and I did not want to call a towboat. And quite frankly, I don't even know if there's a towboat available right now. So I am on the way. Fingers crossed. Everything is going well so far. And, uh, yeah, crossing the back to crossing the 45th parallel, it's pretty freaking incredible because there's so much fresh water. And right here in Traverse City, we have two bays, and you can check it out on the map sometime. It's a pretty neat area. There is a bay called West Bay, and then there's a bay called East Bay, and then there's a peninsula in the middle called Old Mission Peninsula. And I live on the East Bay side of uh, uh, of things, and my, I keep my boat on West Bay. And it's just amazing how much fresh water we, we have here. And it's amazing how, how deep the water is here. There's one area of East Bay just off Bluff Road, which is not far from my house, and it's almost 600 feet deep of fresh water. And it's just fascinating to live around here because people seem to take fresh water for granted because there's so much of it. And it's not as if they take it for granted because that might seem like they just think it's going to be always be readily available. It's just that it's not even on people's minds. Water, the use of water, I shouldn't say the cost of water because for some, perhaps the cost of water is on their mind, but just overall use of water isn't something that people think of. So, in, you know, in essence, they maybe they do take it for granted. And what's interesting to think about is that the population is not very dense around here. So not only do we have a just uh, you know obviously a boatload a crap load of water there's also not many people so if we were to look at it in terms of like a resource per capita resource per person we've got a lot of it and it makes me wonder what the world might look like in 50 years and in 500 years or 100 years you know will we continue to build where there's no water you know will technology and innovation figure out a way to harvest the moisture out of the air so that we can live wherever we want regardless of the resources that are available or will we will we um, what's the right word will we develop in areas where there's water and resources like Michigan you know will Will we even, you know, I guess this brings up a good question. Will we even allow development to take place in places like northern Michigan where there's a lot of water? I think these are kind of the conversations that we're going to be having in the future because if this is where people want to live because there's water and that becomes the limiting factor, 
will that drive up the cost of land here in northern Michigan? Because this is where people want to live. And will will arid desert areas of the United States and the world become devalued over time? Or how will we level the pl- the water playing field uh, globally? I don't, it's just, I, you know, obviously I don't have any answers. I'm just, it, it makes you wonder how. How can we sort of um, level the global water playing field? I have no idea. Um, but it's an interesting, it's something interesting to think about. You know, I guess, how will water play into the future value of properties? And, and I think it's not just the, it's really not the sort of mineral water rights, if you will, that you want to pump out and resell. It's just more kind of like access to it. Perhaps living within 500 miles of the Great Lakes will become, will be a great place to live and a higher value place to live. I, I don't know. It's interesting. These are the conversations that are, our kids are going to have to have as well as private business and government and everybody kind of coming together and thinking of solutions. <laughs> so as I talk to you, I look down because I'm not holding the tiller on my boat. My boat has a tiller and I'm not holding it because it's in autopilot An autopilot on this boat means I have a line fashioned to the tiller tied to a cleat and I can move the line up and down like a couple centimeters and shift the direction of the boat, but it allows me not to have to hold the tiller the whole time. And it's an old-fashioned boat. There's no autopilot, things like that. But this works really, really well. I only have to touch the tiller every 15, 20, 30 minutes, depending. And it works great. So anyway, <laughs> just just funny as I sit here, I'm looking at the tiller and there's a lion fashion to it. And it's like, how old-fashioned is that? Yet sometimes the simplest solutions are uh, are the best. So <laughs> any, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so I hope I'm entertaining you here on the mic and I'm not talking too much. And uh, I do have a nice cigar going right now. Uh, I don't know if you can hear the sound of it in the mic, but I had to light up a, uh, a cigar in celebration because I am getting closer to Northport. I can see it in sight. And I, bought, I brought a lot of extra fuel for my dinghy in case the engine died. Maybe I could tow my 35-foot sailboat with my six foot dinghy <laughs> that would be funny but it's also why i left really early in the morning because it's glass out here right now so anyway i'm in i'm in sight of Northport. so i figured i'd just light up a, a celebration cigar as well as to celebrate the cleaning of some data that we did for a client we just put some sensor devices on a new client's property and over the course of the last six weeks, we normalized all the data and we just compiled it and we're able to share it back with the client. And it feels really good to have normalized and very precise data, uh, water use data to share with our client. And we literally just nailed this down while I was on the boat on a Zoom call in autopilot with my tiller fashioned with a line, all these things lining up. So, so far it's a good Friday. And I appreciate you guys listening, listening to my monologue so far. And I hope you're having a, a great, uh, a great week. I hope you have an awesome weekend in September, this September, and that you're happy and healthy. You can celebrate life. You can celebrate the industry that we are in and the position that we have, or the hand that we have in helping 
uh, as good stewards, let's say, of our water resource. And perhaps maybe that's the way we should think about it. You have a hand in the water resource as an irrigation and landscape professional. And water being an integral part, you have a hand in the water resource. And your job is not just to grow plants. It's also to know about what, what, what we are doing and how water plays a critical role in the entire ecosystem as it relates to using the right amount of water because it is a precious resource. And those of you who live in areas of the country that are arid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And those, that, those of you that live around Lake Michigan and even in places in the Northeast, water sometimes is, eh, we have plenty of it. You know, my clients don't really, they're not really into water conservation. We, we hear it so much. So just remember, you are in the water business. You are technically in the water resources business. Feel proud of it. <laughs> Learn as much as you can about it. Keep an open mind about it. Lots of ways to accomplish all kinds of things. And, you know, remember, all sprinklers are created equal, right? The fact that we, the fact that we give more of our attention to which sprinkler is better than another is crazy. We need to stop this con- stop the discussion on which sprinkler is better. <laughs> it's you, the user of the sprinkler that holds the power. You've heard me say this before. It's not the sprinkler. It's you, the user of, of the sprinkler. It's you, the user who sets the programming on the controller. It's you, the user who educates your client that, that has the power. It's not this sprinkler or that sprinkler or this controller or that controller. It's you, the installer. You, the maintainer. You, the designer. You guys and gals are the ones. So yeah, what else? What else is going on in the water world? The world of water. Hmm. I uh, Let me think about something. I did learn this week, this is a random factoid, but sometimes it's good to have interesting facts that you can uh, ask ask when you're having a beer with your friends and family, whatever. I learned this fact, and I, actually I won't give you the answer. I'll just let you know. I'll ask you the question. You can go do the, your own research. I learned that there are two of the United States that all of the water runs off the state. So if a drop of rain lands in these two states, none of it is retained. I shouldn't say none of it. That that's, sounds like the extreme. But essentially, the states, these two states do not retain the water. That's just an interesting, something really fascinating to think about. Because if, it, if each state had to collect its own water to reuse, there's two United States they could not collect, I shouldn't say that, they could collect perhaps with retention ponds and such, but there's two states where the water runs off. I won't give you uh, the answer. You can go Google it. And I just thought this was interesting. And I guess an interesting, you know, just an interesting fact I learned this week that you can do, you know, some bar trivia with the next time you're alone out at the bar and you tell someone what you do, you know, you can ask them that question. So I won't give the answer. You can go figure it out. So yeah, appreciate you guys listening. And uh, let's see, this is, um, let's see, I got to get this podcast in because I'm sticking to my everyday ritual and it has been one year of an everyday Friday podcast. So again, I'm not really shooting for quality, even though maybe this is a good podcast. Maybe my monologue here is quality. You, you, you can decide, <laughs> but, uh, just looking out here at the water makes me think this would be a, such a great place to host an irrigation, um, meeting technology event, something like that, because, 
just touching this amount of fresh water, looking at it with your eyes, is amazing. So just be a, I think it would be a fun place to do that. And, uh, you know, what's the first step in taking action, putting, getting the thought out of your mind, sharing it with someone and putting it out into the world. So there you go. I just did it. At some point in the future, we will have an event here in Traverse City or some other similar place where we have a lot of fresh water and we can just appreciate it and look at what we do through that lens. And I think that's what's also interesting is that we all look at what we do through a geographic lens of where we where we are and where we where we operate our our business you know maybe that's the best way to to describe things is that we all see this industry through our own set of lenses based on where we're located you know if you live in Miami you have a lens on you know what we do and what this industry is through the lens of Miami if you live in Seattle, you're going to have a lens on this industry and what we do through the lens of Seattle. Same thing goes for San Diego, San Antonio, Boston, New Orleans, St. Louis, Minneapolis. We all have a lens in which we see the industry or from which, you know, uh, from the position at which we sit and where we're located and what we've learned. And I can tell you that sitting on one of the largest fresh bodies of water in the world right now is a really interesting perspective. Really, really makes me think. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was a that was a good thought. Let's see. Are there any other exciting announcements I can share? Hmm. I don't know that there are at this time. So maybe I will just remind you guys to try something new on your next project this week. Or, or doesn't even matter what you're doing, try something new. Install a new product that you've never used before. <laughs> Maybe pick a product you think might be shit, but if you've never used it, how would you know? So yeah, go, put, go try a product that you think is not good. Try it out for yourself. How's that for change of perspective? Maybe you'll Maybe you'll change your position on it after you give it a try. So go try something new, see what happens. And uh, make that a general practice in what you do. Always good to try new things, experiment, find out what works, embrace it, do more of what works, do less of what doesn't work. And when something doesn't work, let it sit and wait some period of time, a week, a month, a couple years, and try it again. See if it works the second time around. So I think that's all I have for you guys. Getting closer to Northport. Again, I can see it in sight, not too far away. And I appreciate you guys listening to the mind of Andy today. Thank you so much. We'll catch up with you on the next episode. I'm out. Have a good one. Appreciate you. See you next time. <laughs>